Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, good morning. If you'll join me in reading from John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. This will be in the message translation. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, wash my feet. Or, excuse me, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I am doing but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you are not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I am doing. Master, said Peter, not only wash my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now and you are clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you are clean. But not every one of you. So now you're you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, Do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I have laid down a pattern for you. What I have done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Whoa. Uh, we're going to get a music stand up here so I don't have to hold all this. Uh, my name's Scott Erickson. I'm a, a friend of this community. And uh, Ben asked, Mark and I conspired on talking about the what we see this series is called weak and strong and how we see Jesus representing weakness and the strength of that and uh, wanting to model ourselves after Jesus um, and we're gonna kind of be looking at a lot of things about vulnerability um, speaking of vulnerability I am uh, <clears throat> recovering from I think I'm recovering I don't know I might I have no idea how long this is gonna last but I've had the flu for a solid five days and uh, so this morning's talk will be brought to you by the Holy Spirit uh, fear of public embarrassment and drugs so um, I just you know I just say that because there might be a moment where I just stop and I just gaze into a corner um, we read that passage of, uh, oh wait, let's do this. Uh, we read this passage and Jesus says, I've laid a pattern for you. I'm curious, when you think of the word pattern, 
uh, what comes to mind? And feel free to just shout out. What, when you, the word pattern, what do you think of when you think of pattern? Quilts? Repetition? Clothing? Oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, okay, yes, yes. Order. Great. You guys are all like living dictionaries. Awesome. Yeah. Um, pattern is something that we see, a repetition, something that uh, is going over and over, and we, we recognize it. Um, when I hear the word pattern and being an artist, there's this great artist named Kahindi Wiley. Um, he's probably most known uh, in culture now because he did uh, President Obama's portrait that's in the Natural Portrait Gallery, but he does these wonderful uh, giant paintings. They're really huge. And yeah, he's playing on this kind of idea of uh, Western uh, European imperialism and then bringing his experience uh, uh, from inner city Los Angeles and Chicago into these. But um, he, you know, so this famous painting of Napoleon, he has uh, brought one of his friends into it. And, but in all of his paintings, he has these really elaborate patterns, uh, these like wallpaper tapestries, these backgrounds, and they're really gorgeous and they're beautiful and his work is tremendous. He's so talented. I mean, like to give scale, like, like here's like one of his paintings. So they're like really huge. And if you have a chance to see them in person, they're amazing. But patterns, this repetition, this thing that we recognize. And uh, Jesus in uh, this passage uh, translated by, in the message by Eugene Peterson, Jesus says, I've laid a pattern for you. Like I've, there's something that when we would see this over and over, you'd be like, I recognize this. I know what this is about. Um, and I wonder, I guess the question for me this morning in this passage is like, what is the pattern of resurrection? If Jesus is the person we're looking at and he's offering this to his disciples, this kind of pattern, this recognizable thing, what does that look like? And I want to I wanna go into that a bit this morning. Um, Franciscan friar Richard Rohr says this, uh, God simply wants mirroring images of God to live on this earth and to make the divine visible. That is, of course, the way love works. It always overflows, reproduces, and multiplies itself. God is saying, as it were, all I want are icons and mirrors out there who will communicate who I am and what I'm about. The experience of election, belovedness, and chosenness is the typical beginning of this re-imaging process. Then we, with our unveiled faces, gradually receive the brightness of the Lord, and we grow brighter and brighter as we are turned into the image that we reflect. You must first surrender to the image within yourself before you will then naturally pass it on, and then you'll become a very usable two-way mirror. Um, I've laid a pattern for you. Do what I've done. So uh, let's get in this passage. We read it, but we'll just go through it. Jesus uh, knew that the Father had put in him complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. And so he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples. And then drying them with his apron, when he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Um... We obviously don't really live in a culture where we get our feet washed very often. I know you probably all know this and we don't need to go into great detail, but in ancient times, you know, a lot of sandals, a lot of dirt, you know, coming, it was customary when you came into a house. They weren't Scandinavians and made you take off your shoes. They just like brought a basin, washed their feet, and uh, it was a way of showing hospitality and stuff like that. Um, it's not something we really do. Um, if, but like I, when I, 
uh, about a decade ago, our family, we lived in Houston, Texas. I worked at a church there. And uh, the pastor I worked with, Chris, he loved going to foot massages. Uh, Like, have you ever had a foot massage, like a reflexology? You come into this room, and there's all these, like, sofa chairs, and you sit down, you roll up your pant leg, and you take off your shoes, and they put it in a hot basin of water, and you lay on this, uh, like, love seat, and then somebody comes, and they, like, massage your feet. And it's amazing. I love it. Uh, it's, It's fantastic. But there was this time in my life, and maybe this has happened to you in your life, where uh, one time I like jacked my toenail, and then over some months I started to get like a fungus. Not fun to talk about at church, but I got this like, I got this like fungus in my toenail that I couldn't get rid of. And I remember one time going to this foot massage place with Chris, and we were we because we'd go and we talk about things. And I was there, and I was like, as soon as I took my shoe off, I was like, oh no my yellow toe, you know, and I, uh, as this person came over to massage my feet, I was, the whole time I was just like, "Mm, I don't want you to see my yellow toe. I don't want, it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to have something that you're embarrassed by, or you don't want to show one another, or you want to keep hidden, right? It's, It's uncomfortable to have that be the place where somebody begins to interact with you. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling at all. It, So when I think about feet washing, if we brought it into a modern context, I think it would be something like, imagine if the people you invited over to your house first came over early and they cleaned your bathroom, right? And then they would come and then you could show them hospitality, right? It's the place where you don't want people to start a connection with you. That's the place that we're talking about. What we can learn about this and what we see Jesus modeling is that resurrection often starts in vulnerable places. It starts in the places that we believe we can be rejected of because what will be found there. But what we receive in those spaces is we receive uh, love. That's what we receive. That's what Jesus shows us. I remember, uh, so I had this experience. Um, I with a friend of mine, I made a uh, we wrote a couple of books on prayer. And uh, the second one we were working on was on the Lord's Prayer. And it's really interesting that Jesus, before he gives the Lord's Prayer, that um, his disciples come to him and say, how do we pray? And he says, uh, don't, you don't have to go on and on with all these words like the pagans do. What you should do is you should go into a closet, a secret space, and have a conversation with God. And you don't need to use all of these words because your Father in heaven already knows everything you need before you ask him. So when you pray, pray this way. And then he gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I thought it was interesting that Jesus says, um, your Father in heaven knows everything you need before you ask. Because isn't that when you get into prayer, you like start your list and you're like, well, don't you already know all this? Like, do I have to say it out loud? What's the deal? What are we doing here? So I wondered what would it be like to practice the you already know everything and so what, what I would do, because I have young kids, I would wake up early in the morning when I, when I could, and uh, I would make a cup of coffee, and I started to sit in my living room in the dark, and I would just simply say, you already know. What do you want to talk about? And I did this for about a year. Which you already know. And I, I tried to sit in the you already know. And as I sat in the you already know, Sometimes I didn't know that God already knew. So I would be there in the silence with my coffee. And I'd be like, you know, I know you already know, but just in case you don't, uh, we're not really sure how we're going to pay rent this month. And uh, I have these concerns and these... 
just, just in case you didn't, I know you know, but I just need to re- re- remember that you already know. So I would have those moments, you know, where I would be like, I got to remember that you already know all of these things. And then as I continued month after month doing this, you know, the shopping list of kind of things in a life just kind of slowly went away. And what I found is as I sat in the you already know is that God would begin navigating the, the doors in my heart, the hallways and the rooms and stuff, and, and, and specifically the ones that I, I closed and locked and I didn't want him to come in there. Because what we find in our heart is these places of like shame, embarrassment, the conversation where surely if somebody knew this about me, I would be rejected or I'd be kicked out. And I had to let the you already know knock on those doors and begin to go in there and, and, uh, and meet me there in those vulnerable places. I remember this one morning. Um, this one morning I was dealing with something that I was really uh, ashamed about. And uh, I was praying and I was like, God, I... Uh, it feels like we just went through some stuff together. I, I, I need some kind of, I, I'm not asking for a sign or anything, but I, I would like some kind of, I need to know that, like, we're okay. I, I, like, we, I just went, I just, some stuff got brought up and I need to have some response from you. Like, would you give me some response? I need some comfort. And I don't know what we expect, like a light from heaven th- through the ceiling somehow, or, you know, an angel appear, or whatever. None of that happened. And I, I was just there in the silence and I was like, okay. And it was about time for, I knew my kids were going to get up and I had to make breakfast and get them to school. And like, I never do this, but I just was like, well, I'm just going to turn on the TV. You know, sometimes as a parent, you're like, let's just let them teach, you know, teach our kids. Uh, I was like, I'm just going to turn on the TV, wake them up and start making breakfast. And so I, I like, um, I turned on the TV and I kid you not, this is the scene that began to play. Not only was Fred Rogers like an ordained Presbyterian minister um, who was inviting millions of kids throughout his career on public television to see the world as their neighborhood, but also like uh, week after week, day after day on his show, he was pointing the camera at himself and singing a song to us that we are loved, that it's we, we that it's it's that's you that I like. Um, you know, it's awesome in that clip, Jeff feels safe with Mr. Rogers and he shares his vulnerabilities. He says, it shows there's a lot going on if you're handicapped and even if you're not handicapped. And there is a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on in us, way down deep inside of us. What do we do with the a lot that's going on? What do we do with, when we come in contact with the a lot that's going on with us? I'd like to look at what um, Irish poet David White says about genius. Now, genius is a complicated word for us. Often we use genius to describe talent, right? Like, oh, Michael Jordan, he's a genius, or so-and-so. We're talking about their ability or their talent. But David White says that actually genius uh, in the ancient world actually had a different kind of meaning. Genius, Genius meant the spirit of a place or the spirit of some place, the spirit of a thing. Right? And what he was saying is that um, a genius is 
what is going on between the relationship of what that place is. So say we look at the Irish coast where David grew up, right? When we're talking about the genius of this space, what we're talking about is the conversation that's happening between the land and the ocean, this ocean, this water that's breaking upon it, eroding it, forming it, shaping it, the storms, the wind, the sunshine, the grass that's growing, the rocks that are emerging, this relationship that's happening, that's ongoing all the time. And these meeting places, and it gives a special feel of a place. That's why when you go to the, you know, the coast of Ireland or Port Aransas, they have a different spirit, right? Uh, a lot more flags down at Port Aransas. But like, yeah, there's a different spirit of the place, a different genius, right? It's because every place has its own unique meeting of all those kinds of things. And this is the same with a human life. I think I have this quote. Yeah, let me just read this. Um, This is what David White says. He says, The human body constitutes a live geography, as does the spirit and the identity that abides within it. To live one's genius is to dwell easily at the crossing point where all the elements of our life and our inheritance join and make a meeting. We might think of ourselves, each one, like a created geography, a confluence of inherited flows. Each one of us has a unique signature, inherited from our ancestors, our landscape, our language, and beneath it, a half-hidden geology of existence, memories, hurts, triumphs, and stories in our lineage that have not yet been fully told. Each one of us is also a changing seasonal weather front, and what blows through us is made up not only of the gifts and heartbreaks of our own growing, but also of our ancestors and the stories consciously and unconsciously passed to us about their lives." Everything that makes us who we are, our family, our experiences, our trauma, our fear, our friendships, our heartbreak, is what makes our genius. So what do we do when we come across like what we would say maybe unbeautiful places? The places in us that are like hurt or traumatized or scared or frightened. What do we do with those parts of us? What David White would say is that what we do is if we come to unbeautiful moments, what if we asked beautiful questions? He says this, the ability to ask beautiful questions often in a very unbeautiful moments is one of the great disciplines of a human life. And a beautiful question starts to shape your identity as much by asking it as it does by having it answered. You just have to keep asking. And before you know it, you will find yourself actually shaping a different life, meeting different people, finding conversations that are leading you in those directions that you wouldn't even have seen before. This is what like happens to Peter, the follower of Jesus, right? Like Peter is very zealous. He's following Jesus. And then he has all these failures, right? He, he even is at a campfire and they're like, surely that Jesus has been arrested and like, oh, you're a follower. And he's like, no, no, that's not me. That's not right. There's the great denial, the rooster crowing, all of that stuff. And then even Peter sees Jesus resurrected and he sees and touches him or sees the whole thing. And then afterwards he's like, I think I'm going to go fishing again. And he goes back to his old job, right? And Jesus comes out onto the beach as they're fishing, they catch nothing. And he's like, cast your net on the other side, do this whole thing, right? And and the miracle happens, comes back. And then they have a conversation. Jesus takes Peter aside. And what does he say to Peter? He doesn't go, hey, remember all that malarkey you pulled back there? Remember when you denied me in front of all your friends? You remember when we were doing see you at the pole and you didn't come? You know, like stuff like that. He doesn't say that. What does he say to Peter? He just says, 
Peter, do you love me? He asks Peter a beautiful question. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Right? So in the same way, like we are being asked, like this is what we can do. When we are being approached and we hit these vulnerable places in us, these uncomfortable trains, we can ask beautiful questions to that. That's a starting spot. So back to the text, Jesus said, uh, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash me ever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you need not your feet washed now and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. Dun, 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 that was about Judas. But we can see like, Peter having a hard time with this, right? As Jesus comes and he begins washing feet, Peter's being met with this uncomfortability. He's like, ah, no, 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 no. I don't want you to do that. Yo, and then he's like, if you don't let me do this to you, then you have no part of what I'm doing. He's like, okay, finally, and then wash all of me, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no, no, just come. You know, like when we are approached in our uncomfortable or vulnerable places, like we can begin to just kind of overcompensate. It gets, it feels uncomfortable, right? Um, it, it, it really is like, it's, you can see him being uncomfortable and just saying like, just let Jesus love him and it's uncomfortable to receive love. Like how, how are you at receiving love? Do you receive love? amazingly like do we let God love us in those ways um Fred Rogers didn't just sing this it's you I like song uh to kids and people on a show he actually sang that song throughout his career and uh there's one particular scene where he's um he's on the tonight show and Joan Rivers is sitting in for Johnny Carson and uh they have this interaction and let's look at it here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. Here we go. Yes, it's great. So good. You can, <laughs> you can see the moment that Joan becomes uncomfortable <laughs> with the message. It's you that I like. It's, it's, it's not your fancy jokes. It's not your, it's not, that's just beside you. It's you that I like. And like Peter didn't have a sweater to put over his head, but instead it feels like he just had a foot to put in his mouth. You know, he just starts saying some things, trying to deal with the uncomfortability of being, letting somebody love you, letting somebody love you. David White, again, the Irish poet, I can't remember what my next slide is. Great. Um, why is it so uncomfortable sometimes to let somebody love us? And David White has this musing, um, uh, kind of going off the genius thing, where he says, one of the interesting qualities of being human is, by the look of it, we're the only part of creation that can actually refuse to be ourselves. As far as I can see, there's no other part of the world that can do that. The cloud is the cloud, the mountain is the mountain, the tree is the tree, the hawk is the hawk. The kingfisher doesn't wake up one day and say, you know, God, I'm absolutely fed up with the back, up to the back teeth of this whole kingfisher trip. Can I just have a day as a crow, you know, hang out with my mates, glide down for a bit of carrion and now and again? That's the life for, no, the kingfisher is just the kingfisher. And one of the healing things about the nat natural world to human beings is that it's just itself. 
But we, as human beings, are really quite extraordinary in that we can actually refuse to be ourselves. We can get afraid of the way we are. We can temporarily put a mask over our face and pretend to be somebody else or something else. And the interesting thing is then we can take it another step of virtuosity and forget that we were pretending to be someone else and become the person we were on the surface at least, who we were just pretending to be in the first place. Like I, I know that I'm loved, but I live like 99% of my life like trying to earn it, right? Um... I know that God loves me for who I am, but I'm still caught up in the like effort of trying to be worthy of love. It, and it is like, it is a practice to receive love. I don't know if it is our default. I think it's something that we have to grow into, that we have to love, that let ourselves be loved into. And so how do we allow ourselves to be loved? How do we receive it? I think there's lots of ways of doing it. Um, I had a whole other thing I was going to do about a Mary Oliver poem and stuff like that. But I came across some old notes and I was like, actually, yeah, that's a great practice. And I think one of the things that we can do with Scripture is that we can begin to pray ourselves into Scripture. Let me explain what that means. So there's an old, um, it's in the Christian tradition, uh, it's called like imaginative prayer. And it's a practice where you take, uh, you take a bit of Scripture, uh, whatever story. So say this story uh, of, of the feet being washed. And uh, read through it so you know it. And then uh, close your eyes or keep them open, whatever you need to do. But spend time imagining that scene unfolding. Just go through it and, and get really detailed. What does it sound like? What is the clinking of the, the basin, the rush, ruffling of the clothes? The, what are the sounds? What's the smells? What's going on in the room? But, you, but imagine yourself there. You can be a character. It could just be you. But imagine it going on in that room. And what happens when you take Scripture and you pray yourself into Scripture is that you begin to see that these are not just stories about some mythical beings long ago who have nothing to do with our lives, but we see that these are stories happening to other people just like us. And I bet if you took this washing feet story and you spent time by yourself in the uh, you already know and you allowed Jesus to wash your feet, I bet you would confront some of the unbeautiful places in your genius and you would let uh, you would ask. You would be asked beautiful questions. You would be invited to be loved and cared for. You may put a sweater over your head, but that is the work. That is you allowing to be loved. So sometime this week, I would encourage you to take this passage or any other one that's like calling you and then just sit with it and pray yourself into that. Spend time imagining yourself in that scene and, and see what happens. The last part of this passage um, goes like this. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went to his place at the table. And then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if the master and teacher washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid a pat down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. The good news of this passage is that faith, the good news of like, I would say that the good news is that this isn't, um, 
a practice of willpower. This isn't a journey of perfectionism. That what this is, is the pattern of resurrection is that you allow yourself to be loved and then you reciprocate what you've received. Like we see Jesus many times in scripture go, I'm only saying what I'm hearing the father tell me to say. I'm only doing what I see the father doing. Like I'm receiving and then I'm giving out what I have received. This isn't something that you need to muster up, be better than. It's the good news is that it's something that will be done to you. And then you take what has been given to you and you give it to those around you. That is the pattern. Roar says it like this. We must all come to the illusion of separateness. It is the primary task of religion to communicate not worthiness, but union, to reconnect people to their original identity, hidden with Christ and God. The Bible calls the state of separateness sin. God's job description is to draw us back into primal and intimate relationship. My dear people, we are already children of God. What we will be in the future has not been fully revealed. And all I do know is that we shall be like God. Henceforth, all our moral behavior is simply the imitation of God. First observe what God is doing all the time and everywhere, and then do the same thing. And what does God do? God does what God is, love. God does not love you if, you if and when you change. God loves you so that you can change. I had this experience uh, with that Mr. Rogers clip. I kid you not, I just turned on the TV and that clip was going and I had never seen it before. And I was like, what is this clip? Who is this kid? What is happening here? And it sent me down this long like YouTube dive of Mr. Rogers clips of him singing the song over and over again. But this young boy's name is Jeff Erlinger. And uh, interesting enough on like kind of the end of Mr. Rogers television career, he is going to be inducted into the TV Hall of Fame. And he's in Los Angeles. There's this big theater. Everybody, the who's who of television is there. And they're going to give Mr. Rogers his award. And uh, they invite a special guest to give that award. It's great. And then um, Jeff, um, Fred is like overwhelmed by it all. And um, he, he's like, hey, Jeff, would you just stay up here on stage with me? And Jeff's like, yeah, I'll stay. And then Mr. Rogers gives this speech that you should look up. It is one of the most inspiring speeches I've ever seen. To the whole audience of people who make television, he says this. He goes, the first thing he says, he goes, look, fame is a four-letter word. And just like tape or play or Zoom or face or life or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. And he says to those in attendance, he says, I think those of you who are called to do television are called to be servants. And you're called to serve the greater humanity by inviting them to call, like call them out to the goodness in life, to use your power, your work in television to create good that brings dignity and honor to those who watch. And then he asks the audience, he says, who in your life called out the good in you. Along your journey as you've lived, somebody saw you, loved you, said I liked you, and called out the good in you. They've helped you get to where you are today. And then in, on television and at this theater, he goes, 
I want to just take 10 seconds to think about them. He's like, why don't you take 10 seconds and we'll think about the person who's loved you along the way. And he goes, I'll keep time. And he does this 10 second thing. And I would like us to do that this morning. Like wherever, have you've, have, as you have found yourself here and in your life, you have journeyed along this way. Who has taken the time to care for you? Who has called the goodness out in you? Who has loved you and helped form you who you are today? Let's just take 10 seconds to do that and think about who has loved us that way. I'll keep track of the time. And then he says, as I say to you, he goes, wherever they are, if they're alive or they're in heaven, I bet they take such joy in knowing that you thought about them that they were somebody who loved you so well. I would actually like to do this too. On the count of three, would you just say one of those names out loud so we can all kind of hear the the great cloud of witnesses of people who've been loving us? We'll do it together. One, two, three. Monty. Just as we have been loved, so we can love in the same way. The pattern of resurrection is to allow ourselves to be loved in our vulnerable places and let that love transform us and then simply reciprocate that to those we meet. Uh, We gave you a piece of art um, and on the back of it is is the lyrics to For It's You I Like. (laughs) And our prayer practice this week is to simply read this song. Let this song be sung over you. You can imagine in Fred Rogers' voice, that's great. Um, But I left specifically uh, blank where he says chair or jokes, whatever it is for you that's just beside you. That's not you, that's just beside you. It's you that I like. And as we spend time this week, living in the uh, you already know, being asked beautiful questions, receiving love in our vulnerable places. May this song uh, embed itself in us that it's, it's us that God loves. It's us that God likes. The way down deep. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.